Amen. All right, well, we're there in Ephesians chapter number 4, and we're making our way through the book of Ephesians on uh, Wednesday nights. We're going verse by verse and uh, chapter by chapter, and we're, we're going to be in Ephesians for, for a little while. I thought that we'd move through chapter 4, excuse me, we're going to be in chapter 4 for a little while. I thought we'd move through chapter 4 a little faster than this, but there's a lot of uh, just great truths in this uh, chapter that I don't want to just uh, pass over. I hope it's okay with you if we take time and study the Bible and uh, just, you know, dissect it. And I'm, I'm not for these uh, Bible studies where you just kind of review, 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 and never really move forward. But I feel like as long as we're moving forward and learning something new, uh, we can take our time. And uh, I also just spent 48 weeks in Ezekiel, so I'm enjoying Ephesians, if that's all right with you. Uh, but Ephesians chapter 4, if you remember last week, we dealt with verses 1 through 6, and <clears throat> tonight... Uh, we're going to deal with verses 7 through 10. And honestly, I, I, I plan to deal with verses 7 through 10 tonight as my introduction to the sermon and then deal with the rest of the chapter. And just studying the, just these verses for the introduction, I realize that we're going to need just a whole sermon just in these, in these verses. And we're going to expound tonight on uh, one of the most unusual passages in the Bible. It's a controversial passage in some ways and a confusing passage to some. Uh, We'll go ahead and read it, uh, verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. The Bible says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth, He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And uh, when you think of these verses, and if you've ever heard preaching out of these uh, verses, especially verse number 8, you'll you'll find the most diverse interpretations and the uh, unusual interpretations to this passage. And uh, I'm going to show you from this passage what, uh, we're going to break it down and I'll show you exactly what this is talking about. But what I want you to understand is that, is that the theme of these few verses, there's really two major themes, and um, the first one is dealing with what Jesus gave us, and that's really what he's talking about, the fact that Jesus gave us something, and I'll go ahead and give you, tell you what he gave us. He, the context here, and we'll look at it in a minute, is about spiritual gifts, that he gave us spiritual gifts, and he also gave us spiritual leadership. He gave us spiritual gifts, and he gave us spiritual leadership, and then he talks about when he gave it to us. So Paul is teaching us about what Jesus gave us, and then he talks to us about when he gave it to us. So really, uh, verse number 7 is where we need to begin to understand the context of verse 8, and verse 8 is really the controversial and confusing verse. Uh, But to understand verse 7, you have to remember the context uh, of the of the passage, and I'm not going to re-preach last week's sermon. You can go back and listen to it on our website or on YouTube if you'd like. But I do want to just read to you verses two and three, just to remind you the context of these verses leading into this passage. Ephesians four and verse two, the Bible says this: "With all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love." And here's the theme: endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, I preached an entire sermon last week on endeavoring to keep the unity and the importance of unity, and we talked about those 
characteristics in unity. If you and I are going to walk in unity, we're going to have to have these characteristics of lowliness and meekness, long-suffering, and uh, forbearing. I want you to understand that that is the context that leads us into uh, verse number 7. Because, of of course, verses 4 through 6 is just this uh, reiterating of unity, right? He talks about one baptism, one Lord, one body, and he keeps emphasizing the fact that we're all united as one. And then in verse 7, he says this, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. He says, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now, I want you to keep your place here in Ephesians. Of course, that's, that's our text for tonight. But go with me to the book of Romans, if you would. Romans chapter number 12. If you head backwards, you've got the book of Galatians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Romans. Romans chapter number 12. And look at verse number 3. Keep your finger there in Ephesians 4. Of course, we're going to flip back and forth. I'll, sh- I'll prove to you, first of all, that these, con- the- these passages are connected and they're referring to the same thing. In Ephesians 4 and verse 7, the Bible says this, but unto every one of us is given grace. And I want you to notice those words. In fact, if you don't mind underlining in your Bible, I'd encourage you to underline those two words. Given grace but unto every one of us is given grace. And I want you to notice Romans 12 and verse number 3. Romans 12 and verse 3 says this, For I say through, notice what he says, the grace given unto me. So in Ephesians 4, 7, he says, But unto every one of us is given grace. And then in Romans 12, 3, he says, For I say through the grace given unto me. So I want you to notice he's talking about similar things here. And one, he says, we have been given grace. And another one, he says, that grace has been given unto me, uh, Paul would say. Keep your finger there in Romans 12. Go back to Ephesians 4. Look at verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace. And then I want you to notice these words, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And if you don't mind underlining in your Bible, I'd underline those words. The measure of the gift. The measure of the gift. Because he says, we are given grace according to the measure of the gift. He says, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Go back to Romans 12, look at verse 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man, notice these words, the measure of faith. Do you see that? The measure of faith. So we see that these passages are connected because in Ephesians 4, 7, he talks about uh, uh, unto us is given grace according to the measure of the gift. In Romans 12, 3, he talks about the fact that we've uh, that grace has been given unto us according to the measure of faith. And the context is this, because this is all about what God is giving us. And the first thing that Paul's alluding to is the fact that God has given us spiritual gifts. Now, I'm not going to preach a sermon on spiritual gifts tonight. I've done that in the past. We've done that a lot. I did it in the Holy Spirit series, and you can, you can look up those things if you like. He, he outlines them for us here in Romans 12. Notice verse 4. But, but I want you to notice that when we're talking about spiritual gifts, there's, there's a theme even in Romans 12 of unity. Remember I told you this is a theme last week. I told you there's a theme throughout the entire Bible about unity. Notice verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many 
are one body. Notice again, the, there's an emphasis there of unity. He says, look, we're many members, but we're one body. He says, we have, we have uh, different offices and different positions. We have different gifts, he's going to tell us. But we, make, we, we are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. He says, look, we all have gifts when you got saved, God gave you the Holy Spirit, and when He gave you the Holy Spirit, the Bible says He gave you a spiritual gift. Now, we all have gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. We all bring something unique to the table, just like your body, your hands do different things than your feet does, and your eyes do, than your ears do, but we all have a purpose, we all have something that God has given us to do, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. He says, whether prophesy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Notice that the gift is connected to your faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. Or he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. So I want you to notice that Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 are connected because they're both about uh, the fact that we've been given grace or grace has been given to us and has been given to us by the measure of the gift or by the measure of our faith. There's a theme in regards to unity that we are many members in one body. We're all one uh, body. We have different gifts, some to prophesy and some for ministry and some for teaching and some for exhortation, some for giving and ruling and mercy. And that's not the only list that has spiritual gifts. There's other lists. First uh, Corinthians 12 has a list with spiritual gifts and things like that. But he's talking about these things. And they say, well, what does this have to do with, for example, last week's sermon or the context? Well, remember, in last week's sermon, we talked about the fact that in order to have unity, we have to maintain lowliness. We need to be meek. We need to be forbearing and long-suffering. Notice what he says in verse number 3 of Romans 12. He says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself, here's the key, more highly than he ought to think. He says, look, in order to keep unity, in order to keep unity in the church, you need to realize that, yeah, we all have different positions. We all have different gifts. We all have different abilities. We all have different things we bring to the table. We all have different things that we bring into church life. But don't ever get to the place where you start thinking of yourself more highly than others, where you're looking down on others and say, well, I do more in church than they do, and I, I'm more faithful than that person, and I accomplish more for the cause of Christ. Paul says, look, realize that anything you have, any ability, any talent, any gift, anything you have, you have it because God gave it to you. You have it because it was given to you of God. You have that gift because the Holy Spirit gave it to you. And he says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. He says, but to think soberly, according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. So whatever gift you have, whatever talent you have, Maybe it's an ability to speak, and we can use you in, in a, a preaching ministry. Maybe you've got musical talent. You sing in the choir. Maybe you're uh, good with uh, events, and you help with decorating. You know, whatever area you serve in, you minister in, whatever you do, hey, that's great. But Paul says, please don't ever start thinking too highly of yourself. Start thinking that you're just, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread and you're the greatest Christian ever and that church would fall apart without me. He says, big mistake. Because the gifts we have, the gifts we have have been given to us by God. And I want you to notice this. 
he talks about the fact that he gave us spiritual gifts. And then keep your place there in Romans 12 and go back to Ephesians 4. We're not going to deal with this verse tonight. I'm going to break it down for you next week. But then in verse 11, he says that he also gave us not only spiritual gifts, but then he talks about the fact that he gave us spiritual leadership. Notice Ephesians 4 and verse 11. He continues with this idea of what he's given us, right? Because in verse 7 he says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And then in verse 11 he says this, And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And next week we're going to talk about the position of spiritual leadership and the purpose of spiritual leadership. We'll deal with that in those verses. I just want you to notice that he's talking about the fact that he's given us spiritual gifts and he's given you spiritual leadership. And the reason he connects these two is because spiritual leadership often is able to exercise spiritual gifts because he gave some what? Apostles, right? And prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. We'll go back to Romans 12. Look at the list of of, uh, gifts that he gives us there. Romans 12 and verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy. So he says there's a position of a prophet, but there's a gift of prophecy. Then he says, according to the proportion of faith, he says, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth, there's a position of teacher, and there's a gift of teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth, there's a position of a pastor who's supposed to be the over-shepherd, or the, excuse me, the under-shepherd, and be the, the overseer of what happens in the church. And then there's a gift of ruling with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. So we see how these are connected because often it is your spiritual gifts that we can use, and this is how it should be. It is your spiritual gifts that we can use in church and whatever, look, whatever talent you have, whatever ability you have, you say, oh, I, I, I just know, uh, you know, how to fix things. Then fix things for the glory of God. Well, I, I, I know how to play an instrument. Then play instruments for the glory of God. Oh, I, I, you know, I can do this or I can do that. Hey, whatever gifts God's given you, don't get puffed up and start thinking you're better than other people because the only reason you're able to do that is because God allows you to do it and gives you the ability to do it, gives you the brains to do it, gives you the strength to do it. But then also realize that God has given you those things to serve him. So he talks about the fact that he's given us spiritual gifts. And he says, look, he gave these to you. And then, and my plan for tonight was really to get into verses 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. But then we have these infamous verses, 8, 9, and 10. And they seem like, they seem like they're kind of like, like Paul just kind of rambles and starts talking about something different. But really, it's all connected because of the fact that he's talking about spiritual gifts. He's talking about what God has given us, spiritual gifts and spiritual leadership. And then he tells us when God gave us those spiritual gifts and spiritual leadership. But when he tells us that, he gives us these verses that open up a whole uh, can of worms, and I want to deal with it tonight. So, and, and I don't mean that in a, in, a, in, a, in a negative way, according to the Bible. Obviously, Paul didn't do anything wrong by giving us these verses. But many people have taken these verses and tried to twist them and make them say things that they don't say. So go back to Ephesians 4 and look at verse 8. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8, the Bible says this, Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, 
and gave gifts unto men. Now, this is a quote from the book of Psalms, and I'd like you to go to Psalms. Keep your finger there in Ephesians. Go to Psalms, if you would. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely fall in the book of Psalms, Psalm 68. And do me a favor, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there, because we're going to leave it, and we're going to come back to it. We're going to come back to Psalms uh, over and over throughout the sermon, for the rest of the sermon, so make sure you can get there. Psalm 68, verse 18. Psalm 68 and verse 18, the Bible says this, Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might, uh, that the Lord, uh, God might dwell among them. So I want you to notice that we have these verses. This is something that Paul would often do in the New Testament, quote, the Old Testament, he's quoting from Psalm 68. I want you to notice, if you didn't, that the quote is not exact. In fact, people bring this up as a contradiction in Scripture. We'll deal with that in the sermon tonight. But let's go ahead and just break down this verse and kind of answer some of these questions. Let's begin with this idea of ascended up on high. Ascended up on high. Go back to Ephesians 4, if you would, and look at verse number 8. Notice what he says. He says, wherefore. Now, the word wherefore means as a result of which. He says, as a result of this, he says, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men, now that he ascended. So I want you to notice these words. He talks about the fact that we, what we receive, these gifts, the spiritual gifts, and even the positions of these spiritual leaders, they were given at a certain time. When were they given? When he ascended up on high. And then in verse 9, he says this, now, he that ascended was, uh, uh, what, it is, uh, what is it, excuse me, but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Now, usually when we read these verses, we think of the ascension of Christ, right? Where he ascended up in the clouds, he gave his disciples his last words, and he went up to the clouds. But Paul... He, he's making a point here that, yes, he ascended up on high, but in verse 9 he says, before he ascended, he also descended. And he descended to the lower parts of the earth. Now, what is this referring to and what is this talking about? Go to Ezekiel 31, if you would. Uh, towards the end of the Old Testament, you've got the big major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 31 and it's interesting that how the Lord kind of worked it out because I happened to be preaching in Revelation chapter 2 on Sunday morning about the church at Ephesus. And at the end, we dealt with that whole thing about paradise and uh, the doctrine of paradise and how people will say that paradise is this nice part of hell. And we disproved that. It's interesting because that's kind of go, it goes with what we're talking about here in Ephesians because the Bible says and Paul says that Jesus, yes, he ascended, but he says, you know, before he ascended, he descended down into the lower parts of the earth. What is that referring to? And I could spend all night taking you uh, from verse, you know, verse after verse to prove this. I'm not going to do that, but I'll just show you here one passage, Ezekiel 31, 16. The Bible says this, I made the nations to shake at the sound of his fall. When I cast him down, notice these words, to hell. So I want you to notice that the context of Ezekiel 31 is that someone's being thrown into hell with them that, notice, descend into the pit. So notice, in the Bible, when someone goes to hell, where do they go? Down. 
They go down into the pit. In fact, the Bible says that hell is in the center of uh, the earth. And the trees of Eden, the choice beasts of Lebanon, all that drink water shall be comforted in the, I want you to notice these words, nether parts of the earth. Nether parts of the earth. Now the word nether means lower, and this is exactly what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 4.9 when he says, now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? Paul said, Jesus descended down into the lower parts of the earth. Ezekiel said, hey, when these people went down to hell, they descended into a pit and they went down to the nether parts of the earth. What does that mean? The lower parts of the earth. Notice verse 17. They also went down into hell with him unto them that be slain with the sword and they that were his arm and dwelt under his shadow in the midst of the heathen. To whom art thou thus like in glory and in greatness among the trees of Eden? Yet thou shalt be brought down with the trees of Eden, notice, unto the nether parts of the earth. And look, all throughout the Bible, and, I'm, and, and I, I know I don't have to convince you of this, but there's just people who don't believe this and, and people with dispensational doctrine that goes against this. All throughout the Bible, hell is in the center of the earth. You go down into hell. Korah, the earth opened up and he went down into hell. You go down into the pit. You go down, you descend into the nether parts, into the lower parts of the earth. Now go to Isaiah if you would. Isaiah 53. You're there in Ezekiel, so just head backwards. Past Lamentations, past Jeremiah, into the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 53. And I know I'm asking you to keep your place in a lot of places, and I apologize for that. But, you know, it's Bible study night, so we're supposed to be studying the Bible. Isaiah 53, and then I want you to just keep your place right there and go to Acts chapter 2. Isaiah 53 and verse 10, and then go to Acts chapter number 2. Look, the Bible says Jesus went to hell. The Bible teaches, but we're going to look at it right now. Acts 2.31. Let's look at it. Acts 2.31. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts 2.31. The Bible says, He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ. And I want you to notice these words. That his soul, that his soul was not left in hell. That his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Now, if you have one of these modern Bible perversions, not translations, but perversions, your Bible is going to say uh, that his soul went down to Hades. And you know, it's dishonest for them to leave a Greek word there that's translated as hell all throughout the Bible. Just because they want to avoid you thinking that Jesus went to hell, because that's what Hades is, the Greek word Hades is uses the word hell throughout the Bible. So they just leave it as this Greek word Hades so that you won't know what the Hades are talking about because you don't speak Greek. You know, it's hell. He went down to hell. Or they'll put the grave there. They'll put something that's dishonest. But the Bible is clear that he went down to hell, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Now, here's what dispensationalists will tell you. They'll say, oh, yeah, well, you know, his body was buried and his soul, yeah, it went down to hell, but it went down to the nice part of hell. And we talked about that on Sunday morning, and I'm not going to deal with that. Obviously, that's foolishness. Oh, if, if they went, he went to paradise in hell, right. Well, we proved from the Bible that paradise is heaven. 
according to the Bible. But I just want you to notice there in Acts 2.31, the Bible says, you can't dispute this, his soul was not left in hell. His body was buried, and his soul went down to hell. But then there's this, 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 this uh, argument. Well, what was he doing in hell? Was he just hanging out on the nice part of hell, just kind of relaxing? Or, or what, what's going on in hell? Well, here's the thing. We're Baptists. We don't have to wonder what we believe. The Bible tells us what to believe. The Bible says the soul went down to hell. So let's ask this question. What was his soul doing in hell? Are you in Isaiah 53? Now, Isaiah 53 is one of the most famous prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the most descriptive and just... I mean, you can't read Isaiah 53 without walking away realizing it's a prophecy of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to take the time to develop that. You know, I've done that in another sermon. So look at verse 10. But I want you to notice what the Bible tells us about Jesus in Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his... Notice this word, soul. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper at his hand. Now, wait a minute. We know from Acts 2.31 that his soul was in hell. So, the dispensationalists say, oh yeah, his soul was in hell, but he was relaxing in a nice, uh, you know, uh, little beachfront there in hell uh, called paradise. Well, wait a minute. Isaiah 53.10 tells us that when Jesus died, his body, the Bible tells us that his body was beaten for us. He was wounded for our transgressions. By his stripes, we are healed. His body, there was a, a aspect of, of the pain and the punishment of his body uh, 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 during that crucifixion. But then it tells us that God made his soul an offering for sin. So, okay, his soul was made an offering for sin. His soul goes down to hell. And then you've got Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy telling you that every offering that was offered was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of them are burnt in fire. And you can't make the connection <laughs> that Jesus went, look, Jesus saved us from what? Hell. Well, he saved us from death, okay? From the first death, the initial death, physical death, and what? The second death, which is the lake of fire, which is hell. He went to hell to pay for our sins because what would I... Look, if I, if I didn't believe on Jesus Christ, what would happen to me if I wanted to pay for my own sins? I'd go to hell. So in order for him to pay for our sins, he went to hell. And he didn't go to hell to relax. No one goes to hell to relax. Are you serious? He went there because his soul was made an offering for sin. So he ascended up to heaven, but he first descended down to hell. And then Paul would say, when he ascended, he gave spiritual gifts because he gave the Holy Spirit. You're there in Acts 2.31. Go to John, if you would, just one book back. John 16 and verse 7. John chapter 16 and verse 7, notice what the Bible says. I'll just show you this to you quickly. John 16 and verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus speaking. If you have a red letter edition Bible, these words will be in red. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you, notice what he says, that I go away. This is Jesus. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So notice, Jesus says, when I go, when I ascend, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send you the comforter, the Holy Spirit. He said, in fact, it's expedient. It's in your best interest that I go so I can send you the Holy Spirit. And then, he, and then we're told when he ascended, he gave us spiritual gifts because those spiritual gifts come from the Spirit of God. 
from the Holy Spirit of God. That's how we got him. So there's this phrase that he ascended up on high. What does that mean? Well, it means that he ascended up to heaven, but Paul says you need to realize that he first ascended down to hell to be an offering for a sin. And when he ascended, he gave spiritual gifts because he gave the Holy Spirit. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 8 again. So we're breaking, we're, we're breaking up this controversial verse for you because this verse has, there's a lot of controversy with it. So the first phrase, he ascended up on high. We've dealt with that, all right? Let's deal with the second phrase. The second phrase is this. He led captivity captive. He led captivity captive. Now, this is all connected, that he ascended and descended, because our dispensational friends, they'll say, oh yeah, when Jesus went down to hell, not only was he just relaxing in you know, some hotel there in hell, that's nice, four-star review, get a good uh, deal on it, because the location's not great, it's kind of hot. <laughs> you know, he's down there, but then they'll say, he was also down there preaching to the Old Testament saints. So they'll teach, because people are like, well, what was he doing in hell? What's he doing relaxing in hell? And they're like, oh, well, that's where all the Old Testament saints are. So the Old Testament saints, when they died, they didn't go to heaven. They went to hell, but they went to the nice part of hell. So he's in hell, you know, preaching to these Old Testament saints. Now, wait a minute. Let's ask this question. Does the Bible teach that Old Testament saints go down to hell? Because, right, the Bible says hell is down, right? The nether parts of the earth, the lower parts of the earth. Where does the Bible say that Old Testament saints go when they die? Let's run some verses. Go to 2 Kings chapter number 2. 2 Kings chapter number 2. If you have your 1 and 2 books, they're all clustered together. 1 2 Samuel, 1 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles, 2 Kings chapter number 2. Old Testament saints, right? Because here's what they'll say. They'll say, well, Jesus hadn't died yet. So because Jesus hadn't died... God couldn't let the Old Testament saints into heaven, so he had to put them in a nice part of hell till Jesus died. Then he went down there, he preached the gospel to them, they, then he brought them out and took them up to heaven. Okay, what does the Bible say? 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. And it came to pass, this is about Elijah, remember Elijah was caught up, and it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. That's Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah went down to the pit, to the lower parts of the earth, to wait for Jesus to die. Is that what it says? No, and Elijah went up. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind. Why did he go up? Because he went to heaven, into heaven. And, and guess where heaven is? Up. Guess where hell is? Down. What did Old Testament says? Old Testament saints go to hell. Well, what about Elijah? Well, except for Elijah. Okay. Go to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. You have Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 3. And we could look at a lot of passages about this. I don't have the time to, but I'll just show you a few. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 20. Ecclesiastes 3.20. All go up, excuse me, all go unto one place. All are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. Ecclesiastes 3.21 Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of beasts that goeth downward to the earth? See, beasts are not, uh, they're, they're, they're just animals. Their spirit just goes down to the earth, just returns to the earth. But the spirit of man, it goes upward to God. And, and of course, we're talking about saved individuals here. But the Bible, you say, oh, well, no, in the Old Testament, everybody went down. Well, 
somebody, somebody didn't tell Solomon because he said that the spirit of man goes upward. Somebody didn't tell Elijah because he went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So look, in the Old Testament, the saints, whenever they die, they go to heaven. And what kind of foolishness is this to say, oh no, God couldn't let them into heaven because Jesus hadn't died. Oh really? Because the Bible says he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The Bible says that when God makes a promise, it's as good as done. The Bible says that, look, he, he already planned. Well, are we studying Ephesians? He'd already predestinated what was going to happen. Not who would get saved, but the fact that Jesus would come and die for our sins. That was already done. It's as good as done. And look, in the Old Testament, anyone who believed, they didn't know the name of Jesus, they didn't know all the details, but anyone who believed and called upon the Lord, when they died, they went to heaven. And then these people will say, oh no, they're down in hell. And, and Jesus is preaching the gospel to them. So just get this picture. They're like, Jesus dies. You know, pretend we're in, in, in a Ruckmanite Bible college right now. We're in Bible doctrines class at a Ruckmanite Bible college, and they're teaching us the doctrine of paradise. And it's like, okay, and, and we just heard it for the first time. And we're like, explain this to us. And they're like, okay, here's the thing. When Jesus died, he went to hell. But no, not the bad part, the nice part. There's a nice part of hell. Oh, yeah, there's a nice part of hell. Why is there a nice part of hell? Well, that's where all the Old Testament saints are. Oh, really? I thought all the Old Testament saints went up. No, no, they went down to hell. Jesus hadn't died yet. It's complicated. And then, and then, and then, and, and then I'll tell you, and Jesus went down there and he preached to them. And he got them saved. So you ask the question, where does the Bible say that? And they'll say Ephesians 4. Turn in your Bibles. Look at verse 8. He led captivity captive. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm sorry. Where, where's the part about the Old Testament saints in hell and, and there's a, a nice part of hell and Jesus, what? He led captivity captive. Look, if you believe that, you're putting a lot into those few words. He led captivity captive. You got out of he led captivity captive. Millions and billions of Old Testament saints are in a compartment called paradise and hell. Jesus went down there, preached the gospel to them, brought them all out. You got that out of that phrase? You didn't get that out of that phrase. You know what you got that out of? Commentaries. You know what you got that out of? Books. You know what you got that out of? Schofield and Darby and teachers that are teaching the doctrines of men. Because there's no way that you would have read that verse. Oh, there's other verses. Yeah, we've seen them. They say that he went and, and preached in the prisons. You wouldn't have read that and thought, hell, Old Testament saints, center of the earth, there's a paradise. And all. You wouldn't have got that from just reading the Bible. So you're putting a lot into those phrases, he led captivity captive, and that's just your proof. The doctrine of paradise. It's right there. I mean, don't you see it? He led captivity captive. Look, we need to allow the Bible to define itself. We need to allow the Bible to be its own dictionary and tell us. So when we ask the question, what does that phrase mean? He led captivity captive. What does that mean? then we just allow the Bible to tell us what it means. So here's the thing. It's not that hard. There's only two other places in the entire Bible that has that phrase. Let's look at them quickly. Go to Psalm 68, verse 18. Psalm 68, verse 18. Now, in Psalm 68 and verse 18, and I'm not going to take the time to read the whole chapter. You can read it. It's a whole story of God coming down and fighting for his people. God awakes, and he goes to fight, and he goes into battle for his people. 
And in Psalm 68 and verse 18, the Bible says this, Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. And here's what Psalm 68 is about. You can read it if you'd like. It's this idea that the children of Israel were captive God came and fought for them, and then they were able to turn the tables, and now they became the captors of their captors. They are leading captive those who led them captive. Now you say, I don't know, Psalm 68, I'm not too familiar with that story. Okay, let's look at the other place where this is mentioned, Judges chapter 5. Judges chapter 5, look at verse 12. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Judges chapter 5. Judges 5 is basically just kind of reiterating the story of Deborah. Remember the, the one female judge, Deborah, and Barak, her partner that was afraid to go, so God had to send a woman. Judges 5.12, notice what the Bible says. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake. Utter a song. Arise, Barak. And notice, lead thy captivity captive, thou son of Abinoam. So notice, here we're told that this is what Deborah did. This is what they did in the book of Judges. They led their captivity captive. What does that mean? Well, what happens in the story? They're being held captive. They're being held under tribute. They're under the authority of the enemy. And then Deborah and uh, Barak, or Barak, however you want to pronounce it, comes along, and they are able to set them free, and then they turn the tables on them, and now they're leading their captivity captive. Now they've captured those who had them captured, and that's what the phrase is talking about. Look, when you read it in Psalm 68, and when you read it in Judges 5, it's clear that that's what it's talking about. And if you just look at the wording, doesn't that make sense? Lead captivity captive? Like, who was keeping you in captivity? Now you're going to keep them in captivity? Now you say, well, what does that have to do with Jesus? What does that have to do with Jesus, you know, leading captivity captive? Go to Revelation chapter 1. Well, it goes back to this idea. What was Jesus doing in hell? Was he just relaxing there? Just having a good time? The Bible says that his soul went down to hell. The Bible says that his soul was made an offering for sin. And you know, Jesus was held captive in hell. And he was tortured in hell. And he paid for our sins in hell. But it didn't, it didn't stay that way. Revelation 1 and verse 18, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Do you know what Jesus did? He went down to hell and he was held captive for three days and three nights while he paid for the sins of mankind. But then he led captivity captive. Then he turned the tables. Then he came out victorious. Then he came out and says, Hey, I am he that liveth and was dead. He said, I was dead, but I am alive forevermore. And now I have the keys of hell and of death. Go to Hebrews chapter number 2. Hebrews chapter number 2. You're there in Revelation. Just head backwards. Jude, 3rd, 2nd and 1st John, 2nd and 1st Peter, James, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number uh, 2. And look at verse number 14. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Hebrews 2.14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. He says, look, because you and I are human, because we're flesh and blood, 
Jesus also partook in flesh and blood. He became a human. Why? That through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death. So what is he talking about? That through his death, he might destroy him that has the power of death. You say, who, who is that? Notice what he says. That is the devil. Look, what happened? What happened when Jesus died? When he was crucified? When he was buried? I remember Jesus said, he, the disciples wanted to fight. They wanted to get Jesus and free him. And he said, no, this is their hour. And the power of darkness. Look, at the cross, we lost. I mean, that's what it looked like. Jesus died. The devil won. Evil won. Sin won. Death won. He went on to hell. I mean, think about the fact that the devil and his devils and his demons, they thought, for three days, they thought, we got him. We beat him. We killed the Son of God, the Son of glory. And three days later, he turned captivity captive. Three days later, he turned the tables and he came out victorious and he put, he has the keys of hell and of death and he destroyed him that had the power of death that is the devil. And look, this is, look, this is what we sing about. Some of you ought to get, I know it's a Wednesday night, but you ought to get excited about this. I mean, no, we, we sing about this. Uh, in our song, I, I, I wrote down some, some uh, common songs that, that, that teach this doctrine. Low in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior, waiting the coming day, Jesus my Lord. Vainly they watch his bed, Jesus my Savior. Vainly they seal the dead, Jesus my Lord. Death cannot keep his prey, Jesus my Savior. He tore the bars away, Jesus my Lord. Up from the grave he arose. Look, he went down to hell. They captured him. They beat him. They tortured him. But then he led captivity captive. That's what that verse is about. The fact that he ascended. But look, in order to ascend, he had to first descend. And he descended down to hell to pay for our sins. But then he turned the tables. One day when heaven was filled with his praises... One day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt amongst men, my example is he. One day they led him up Calvary's mountain. One day they nailed him to die on a tree, suffering anguish, despised and rejected, bearing our sins, my Redeemer is he. One day the grave could conceal him no longer. One day the stone rolled away from the door. Then he arose over death he had conquered. Now is ascended, my Lord, evermore. This verse, this verse is not about Jesus hanging out somewhere, just kind of relaxing for three days, you know, till, okay guys, let's go. Led captivity captives about the fact that he had been defeated. Well, at least that's how it looked like. He had been beaten. The disciples quit, everybody quit, nobody, look, Jesus said too much about himself. Jesus said too much about himself and who he was. When he died, there was no keep the dream alive. There was no keep the story going. Sometimes when people die, it kind of helps the movement of different individuals. With Jesus, this was not the case because he said too much of himself. He said, I am the life, and then he died. He said, I am the resurrection, and then they buried him. He said, I'm the son of God, and then they killed him. But three days later, he led captivity captive. Three days later, he turned the tables and he destroyed him that had the power of death. That is the devil. He came out with the keys of hell and of death. Go back to Ephesians 4. Look at verse number 8. Ephesians 4 and verse 8. 
The Bible says this, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. And then the Bible says this, and gave gifts unto men. Now I want to deal with this real quickly because here people will say there's a contradiction in the Bible. I just want to explain it to you real quickly. Psalm 68 and verse 18, the Bible says this, Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men. And see, in Psalm 68, 18, it says, Thou hast received gifts for men. And in Ephesians 4, 8, it says, And gave gifts unto men. And people will say, like, See, this is a contradiction in the Bible. But look, if you look at the wording, and if you look at it, it just it makes logical sense what's being said here. Because in one, we're told that he received gifts for men. He received gifts to give to men. And then, in, and then Paul quotes it as, Gave gifts unto men. Because he received, people say, oh, see, and one, he gave gifts. Another one, he received gifts. Yeah, but it says he received gifts for men. He received them to give them to us. He received uh, the, 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 all those spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit and all. He, he got the comforter so he could send them down to us. People like, uh, I try to act like there's a big contradiction here, but look, there's no contradiction. He received gifts for men to give unto men. He gave gifts unto men and he received gifts for men. But this passage, people like to twist it, like to read into it, like to say all sorts of uh, things about it and bring all sorts of doctrines. But it's kind of sad because when you do that, you miss out the truth that we serve a risen Savior, that we serve a, re- uh, a resurrected Messiah, hey, a glorified God, that yes, He died. Yes, he was buried. Yes, he was captured. Yes, it looked bad. But then he turned the tables. And he came out victorious with the keys of death and of hell. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. And Lord, thank you for the resurrection. The fact that you proved that Jesus was who he said he was. His soul was made an offering for our sins in hell. But Lord, I'm thankful that he led captivity captive. I'm thankful that he turned the tables. I'm thankful that he came out victorious. That we might have victory through him. Lord, we love you. We thank you for allowing us to be able to study these passages and break them down and learn them and understand them. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.